Hi everybody, welcome back to the Visual Politic Podcast. I'm your host, Simon, and this is, as always, a audio version of the video version that we publish on our YouTube channel. I'm going to jump in during this one about German capitalism versus French capitalism as we go through. If there are any moments where I need to explain something that, you know, worked in the visual elements but not in the audio, I will jump in and let's get into it. All right, so the million dollar question. Why is Europe not growing? I mean, think about it. The European Union has the second largest economy on the planet just after the United States. Nevertheless, of the world's 50 largest companies, only eight come from European soil. While the New York Stock Exchange is on fire, European stock markets are going down. This includes Frankfurt, Paris, and Madrid. And what about the tech giants? We've all heard of Google, Apple, and Amazon, to name a few, but what's their EU equivalent? Well, Germany has SAP, which is a database software company. Sweden has Spotify. But let's face it, none of these are really a match for Facebook or for Uber. And this is especially worrisome if we consider the entire world is on the rise. Yep, dear viewer, if we take the GDP of all of the countries on the planet, including the wealthy and the poor ones, we have a 3.1% growth rate. This is great news for everybody, but the Europeans' growth rate, it hardly reaches 2.5%. And believe me, this is not good for Europeans. Slower growth means less jobs and less money for everybody. At the end of the day, if an American or a Chinese company can take on the market, sooner or later, European firms will soon go bankrupt. So, you know, good luck finding a well-paid job. This is why many politicians believe the EU has to bet on bigger companies. And it's in this context that we found this headline from the beginning of 2019. From CNBC. EU blocks Alstom Siemens rail merger due to serious competition concerns. To summarize, Alstom is a French high-speed train manufacturer. Have you ever seen those French TJVs, those trains that appeared in movies like Mission Impossible? Well, those were manufactured by Alstom. Siemens, on the other hand, is a German behemoth with a train manufacturing division. Had they been merged, they would have become the second largest train company on the planet. And you might be wondering, well, what's the first? Well, of course, that would be a Chinese company. So again, Europe wants to compete with China in terms of technology. So now you might be wondering, well, why did they ban the merger? And this is where we get to one of the oldest economic dilemmas. The foundation of free markets is free competition. This means that if multiple companies compete for customers, they will end up offering better goods and services at a lower price. What happens when a company becomes so large that it can smash the rest? Well, then we have a monopoly. For example, let's say that Alstom and Siemens merged. At this moment in time, the Spanish government wants to buy new high-speed trains. Well, if there's only one company capable of meeting these high standards, well, why would that company lower their price? At the end of the day, they're the only choice on European soil. And that's not all. If this company could take all the contracts, well, what would be the incentive for other entrepreneurs to compete in the train industry? In other words, it would be the opposite of a free market. On the other hand, we can argue that if two companies want to merge, who is the EU to say no to that? That doesn't sound like a very free market thing either. This 
is a bit of a dilemma. It's also one of the biggest ideological debates of our time. This is not the classical fight between socialism versus capitalism. In fact, we can say that this is a fight between two different views on capitalism. We're going to say that this is French capitalism versus German capitalism. So now the question is, well, was it a good idea to block the Siemens-Auster merger? And what's the difference between French and German capitalism? And does Europe really need these big companies? Well, today we are going to answer all of these questions. But before we do, let's take a look back at the history. French capitalism versus German capitalism. If you've been following visual politics for a long time, you might remember this video that we made about France. France is a country famous for croissants, baguettes, and economic deregism. Since the times of Charles de Gaulle, French capitalism has worked like an army. Of course, they have private companies and somehow competition among them. But for decades, the French economic playbook said that the government must help and promote their big corporations. This is why starting a company in this country can be as hard as you could imagine. But hey, if you're a big company, well, the state's going to roll out the red carpet for you. In fact, do you remember this list with the world's 50 biggest companies? So from those, 80 European companies and three are French. And this is not by chance. German capitalism, it's the opposite. Of course, Germany has regulations and taxes, but the aim of those is to protect a greater good, the environment, labor rights, or competition. How about an example? Let's talk about economic policy. If you remember, in this other video, we explained how Germany is totally against nuclear power and how they're closing all of their plants. This means that producing energy in this country is very expensive. But on the other hand, no other country relies more on nuclear plants than France does. Theoretically, this would mean that the energy bill here should be way cheaper than those in Germany, right? Well, actually, not at all. If you check out expatistan.com, you'll see that if you lived in Paris, you would pay about the same as living in Munich, which is one of the most expensive German cities. Why? Well, because of things like this. From Reuters. French consumer group says EDF monopoly boosts power prices. The truth is, Germany has a lot of energy companies competing on the same playing field. Nobody has the government as a shareholder. All right, so there is actually a small exception here, which would be E.ON, but we're talking only about 2% of the capital held by a regional government. The rest of the companies, they're fully state-free. They also have no privileges whatsoever. France, though, that's a different animal. a big bear moth called EDF. 70% of their capital is owned by the French government. This means a big helping hand from the government in almost monopolistic conditions. Of course, it's not all bad. Thanks to its public support, EDF is the world's third largest company in their industry. They've also got a big foothold in other countries, including African ones. The price for having such a big company, well, that's paid for by the French consumers. The same goes for other industries as well. For example, automobiles. France has two juggernauts, Renault and Peugeot Citroën, that got merged some years ago. Many of you might think that these are normal companies that compete on free market, right? Well, this isn't quite the case. 
both cases, the French government is one of the main shareholders. In Renault's case, the French government owns 15% of the company. This means a nice little financial cushion for Renault coming straight from the taxpayer's pocket. Thanks to this, Renault starts from an advantageous position compared with other car makers. But not only that, having so many shares, the government can intervene directly in the company's affairs. For example, Paris would never allow Renault to fall into foreign hands. Many times, the government has vetoed the closure of factories or has given grants to develop new car models. So, well, now let's hop over and have a look at what happened in Germany. In this case, the German government has no stocks in any car maker. BMW, for example, is completely in private hands. Volkswagen, they're partially owned by a city hall, but it's completely independent from the central government. This means that Germany doesn't help any of their companies, at least in theory. And something similar happens in the Nordic countries. This is why we can find headlines like this one. From Geely. Geely Holding completes acquisition of shares in AB Volvo. In this case, Volvo is one of the biggest companies in Sweden, and Geely Holdings is a Chinese group. The Swedish government did nothing to stop this acquisition, but good luck trying to do the same thing in France. It's not that they have lots of regulations against foreign investment, it's just that the fact that if Volvo were French, they would be surely owned by the governments, and the government wouldn't let that happen. But if you want to see French versus German capitalism in action, well, pay attention to today's story. Let's have a look. Juggernaut on rails. By the way, this amazing tune you're listening to now is from Hardbone, a German hard rock band that sent us their music. The song we're playing right now is called No Man's Land. There was a time when China was a corporate no man's land. The country was growing like gangbusters. They needed roads, bridges, and trains. They didn't have companies to build those. This is why in 2004, it signed a big contract with Siemens to build high-speed trains. The problem? The Chinese can negotiate like nobody else. One of the conditions was that next to the German engineers, there would be Chinese ones learning from them. So, well, what was the conclusion? Chinese people learned how to make high-speed trains. No surprise. Years later, Siemens ended the contract and China got what they wanted – technology. With this technology, they created their own company, CRRC. And this was not a normal company. It soon became the biggest company in its industry worldwide. From ABS-CBN News. CRRC, the Chinese rail juggernaut Europe is afraid of, the corporation brought in about 26 billion euros in revenue in 2017. And size really matters in the corporate world. With all this money, CRRC can make big investments and smash their competitors. They've already won big contracts in America, Serbia, and the Czech Republic. So what does a French person think when they face a foreign competitor? Well, they think this. From the local. Germany's Siemens, France's Alstom, emerged to create new European rail champion. The new company was meant to be the second largest in the world. And you might wonder, well, where did they used to have their headquarters? And oh, what a question. Well, obviously, it's in Paris. I mean, where else? So everybody was happy. The shareholders, the French government, and also the German government. Yep, in this story, the German government was pretty much in agreement with the French one. So, well, where was the problem? The problem was in the antitrust laws. 
Basically, if two big companies merge, they need special authorization. In Europe, the limit to determine what is big and what is not is 5 billion euros of gross income and 250 million euros in income within Europe. If the company that comes out of the merger surpasses those limits, then they need to ask for permission from the European Commission, which is sort of the executive power in Europe. And this is where our friends from Alstom Siemens had to face this woman, Marguerite Vestager, also known as the Trust Buster. From EU Observer. Vestager says no to Siemens Alstom mega merger. Is the EU Commissioner for Competition, something like the Minister for Regulating Big Corporations. Despite being Danish, we can see that Vestager in this story represents German capitalism. Her argument was that Alstom Siemens would be big enough to smash the small competitors. Don't forget that we're talking about a very political industry where most of the contracts are paid for by different governments. So imagine who would win all of the public contracts in Germany and France, and well, this is where the big dilemma started. From New Mobility News. French economy minister Bruno Le Maire has vividly defended the intended merger between European train manufacturers Alstom, France, and Siemens, Germany. The EU refusing a merger would be a big economical and political mistake. As you can imagine, both the French and German governments had been lobbying in Brussels as much as they could in order to make this merger happen. Their train of thought was that the Chinese might end up manufacturing all of the European trains. Vestager instead insisted that the best way to face Chinese competitors is with innovation. And the best way to boost innovation is to have lots of smaller companies competing with each other. So now the question goes to you. What would you have done? Would you have accepted the Austin Siemens merger? Do you think that Europe needs to create big corporate juggernauts to face foreign competition? All right, everyone, thank you very much for listening. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the Visual Politic Podcast. Uh, I'll be back real soon with another episode. For now, if you would leave us a review on iTunes, that would be amazing. We appreciate those. We see them come in and we appreciate it. And I'll see you soon.